In 2011, Sam Seidel published what has become a foundational book in the field of hip-hop-based education called Hip-Hop Genius, Remixing High School Education. If you know, you know. Pick up a copy and support the school. The book, available at www.hiphopgenius.org, covers the story of the High School for Recording Arts, founded by David T.C. Ellis. T.C. Twin Cities, y'all. Minneapolis, St. Paul. Don't miss out. Hip-Hop Genius. Get the book. The book also details how the hip-hop generation sparked a global movement with limited resources by flipping something out of nothing. Now, 10 years later, Sam has been joined by Tony Simmons, executive director at the High School for Recording Arts. Our goal is to get students mad enough to learn more and smart enough to get it in a whole different way. Sam also asked me to join him in this journey as well. My name's Michael Lipset, and I'm the director of Social Impact at For Learning. Together, the three of us are bringing you Hip Hop Genius 2.0, the second edition of that pivotal book, along with a podcast series where we put legendary musicians and educators together in conversation to discuss the state of the field. On this episode, we'll be chatting with D Smoke, the Grammy-nominated winner of the Netflix show Rhythm and Flow, and a member of the Four Learning Advisory Board. He'll be joined by the legendary educator Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings, the brilliant mind behind culturally relevant pedagogy. We hope you enjoy the conversation, and thanks for joining us on the Hip Hop Genius Podcast. Man, it's so good to be here. Uh, where, where I, first of all, so, for those who don't know, you'll see a picture up on the screen. If you're listening to this, there's a picture on a screen of the cover of a book called Hip Hop Genius 2.0. That book is the 10 year anniversary of edition of a book called, thank you. We're working on a little call and response. So that was an easy one. We'll get to some harder ones. Um, that book, Hip Hop Genius and Hip Hop Genius 2.0 focus on a school called the High School for Recording Arts. And that's where we sit today, and it's a very special place to record an episode of this podcast. And we just started doing this podcast as a limited edition series, trying to bring together some um, legends from the hip-hop world and legends from the education world to have conversations about why we are even talking about hip-hop and education um, at the same time in the same sentence. Uh, so we did our first episode at South by Southwest EDU with DMC from Run DMC and Martha Diaz who founded the Hip-Hop Education Center. Yes, indeed. We did our second episode at a conference called Deeper Learning. Is anyone familiar with that? Okay. And we realized we had hip-hop and education expert in one person, and that's my brother David T.C. Ellis, who's sitting next to me, uh, who founded the High School for Recording Arts. There's three people who wrote forwards for Hip Hop Genius 2.0. One of them is David T.C. Ellis. We already had him as a guest the last time on the podcast. That was like part one. We're, we're gonna need like 47 parts to the T.C. We only got to like when he founded the school, which was 22 years ago. So we, he's gonna come back and we'll do more. Um, but there's two other people who wrote forwards to Hip Hop Genius 2.0. And these weren't like, I don't know, maybe sometimes when somebody writes a book, they're like, well, what I'd like to have is Oprah, but I don't really know how to get to her, so I'm gonna go with Nopra. <laughs> um, 
that was not the situation. These were literally, when we sat down and were like, who would be the best people to accompany TC at the front of this book? These were the two names. Um, and I think I'm super confident you're gonna understand why as we get into this conversation. Um, but it's just an incredible honor to have the other two authors of the other two forwards of Hip Hop Genius 2.0 sitting here with us today. Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings and D Smoke. I, I, oh, we're doing a standing ovation, let's get it. If you're listening at home, everyone in the room is standing up. And our two guests are clapping for each other. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I just, I have the honor of saying a couple words about Dr. Ladson Billings, AKA the notorious GLB. Um, you know how in the hip hop community, we might have debates about who's the GOAT. That stands for greatest of all time, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the term. And, we, and people would have certain rappers or MCs or artists whose names they'd throw out and we could have a really good debate for a couple hours on that. In the hip hop education world, if you say the GOAT, everyone knows who you're talking about. Like no one's about to start having a debate. No one's gonna be like, wait, who are you referring to? It's one person. Am I right? Like, come on, some of my hip hop ed people here. So, I mean, I don't really need to say a lot but I do have to say a couple things, um, which is just um, one of the things that I appreciate so much about you, Dr. Ladson Billings. Well, one thing, so the first time we met, TC and I were in New York City, and we were presenting at an NYU conference, um, and Dr. Ladson Billings was doing the keynote. And we knew she was gonna bring the fire emojis, but we didn't know she was gonna bring the crying, laughing face emojis. It was a straight up stand-up comedy routine with truth bombs all throughout. We had such a good time. We went upstairs to do our workshop. It was a much more intimate space that we were working in. And when I tell you, Dr. Ladson Billings walked in and sat down in the back of the room. I'd love to tell you what happened. I blacked out at that point. I was like, oh boy, oh boy, like, okay, say. Um, but no, just the way you built with us and to be a scholar of your stature, you know, pr uh, written such seminal texts about this work that have inspired so many of us in the room. Um, all the accolades, just to be an OG of this and to still, after your keynote, come upstairs and like sit down and just listen to some people I don't think you knew anything about us, I think says a lot about who you are and the way you are in this work, how hungry you are always to keep pushing it forward. And it's just a huge honor to be some small part of that with you and just wanna say it's a total honor to have you here. Thank you for being with Thank us. You. Dr. Gloria ladson Billings. And I had the distinct pleasure of introducing a good friend of mine, but also one of the most incredible artists that we have in the hip hop game right now, Daniel D. Smoke Ferris, with whom I first connected, it must have been like 2017, 18? Yeah, and we sat down at a Starbucks because somebody at uh, High Tech High actually uh, heard we were trying to come to LA and do some work and they said well then there's only one person that you've got to be in touch with and that was this man right here precisely because um, not only is he an amazing musician as many of you already know but he's also an incredible educator uh, and not just an incredible educator of anything but an incredible educator of the Spanish language um, which if you come from and I, I'm sure you'll speak to this much, much more effectively than I will, but if you come from the LA area, that's the other language to speak, right? And if you're gonna work with young people in LA, that's a, that's a skill set that you must have. 
Um, and so, you know, initially we offered Smoke the director, the executive director's position. And he said, well, actually, I'm trying to be an, an artist full time. And I don't want to dip out if, if something happens and I have an opportunity I got to chase down. And lo and behold, something in the middle of year <laughs> one, happened. this Net man something happened. said, look, uh, Netflix, I don't know if you've heard of Netflix, <laughs> asked me to come compete in Rhythm and Flow. Uh, and I got to go do that. And we said, yes, you do. This is true. And um, this is the most humble man I know. Despite the success he's, he's achieved, he still shows up to work with our young people and, and impart his wisdom upon all of us. And so thank you so much for coming back and being here with us, D Smoke. Well. The question from you, Smoke, was should I say something now? And actually, let's just ask the first question back to the two of you. Cool. We'll get this conversation going. And that first question is, what does the term hip-hop genius mean to you? What images does it bring to mind? Uh, and what stories can you share of when you, your friends, or other artists or educators demonstrated this ability to flip something out of nothing? Wow. What a question, right? Um, but I did think about this whole notion of, you know, how does someone like me, I'm, I'm literally, when they say OG, they mean OG, right? <laughs> emphasis on the O. Uh, yeah, emphasis on the O. Uh, you know, although I do like, Jeff, Jeff Duncan Andrade calls me big homie, and I think I like that better. Uh, but I'm someone who has always been immersed in music and youth culture. And so while we talk about hip hop, really the bigger, broader notion for me is what, what is it that young people are bringing to the space? So I think probably even on here somewhere it says youth is the truth. It is the truth of young people that I think hip hop illuminates. It shows us the kinds of important issues that young people are grappling with. It shows us how irrelevant much of what we're trying to do in school buildings is to them. And yet, we require those, quote, credentials. We require them to make their way uh, through our schools. And so to be at a place like this, High School of Recording Arts, take the tour to meet young people and hear about their, their art. Uh, and I don't know if people understand this, but art is what makes us human. Mm. You know, without it, we are not human. And so the fundamental building block of our humanity really is the arts. And I'll also just say, when, when I think of hip hop, I think about a lifestyle and a philosophy of life. I think about freedom and creativity. I think about democracy. I think hip hop is one of the most democratic art forms available. You don't have to go to the Art Institute or you don't have to go to a conservatory. You can participate and get authentic critique. I don't know if you've ever been in a cipher, but people will let you know what they like. <laughs> authentic critique. It requires you to bring so much of yourself. So, I mean, I'm just so excited to be allowed to participate in this community um, because I think most teachers, most educators, either don't get this opportunity or don't take advantage of the mm -hmm. opportunity. And I'll stop there. 
Well, um, I probably should have went first. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, when Mike said, um, what does the phrase hip-hop genius mean? Um, the first thing that comes to mind um, is a quote, I believe Einstein said it. Um, he said, everybody's a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll always grow up thinking it's stupid, mm -hmm. right? And then, um, then I think back to when I was, then I think back to when I was in college and I took history of rock and roll, and it was a brilliant professor, um, a, a white young man, probably by the, about the age of 30, he was a guitarist and a professor, and um, he started off the, uh, the class by shaking everybody up and, and saying, all right, this is the history of rock and roll, but there's gonna be this overarching theme of white people stealing black people's <laughs> music, right? And, and I was like, oh shit, where am I, <laughs> right? And so, and, and then, so I was like, okay, it caught my attention, but then there was some, it, it created, you know, because I believe the purpose of education is to find truth and to kind of shake people in places where they're kind of trying to stay comfortable. And, um, but understanding that that was a trend in music, then uh, I started to see how so many of uh, people from my community, because I, I believe, I consider myself to be very privileged, but people from my community, they're just so brilliant, but I'm like, why are they not in the places that I'm afforded to be in? Mm. And um, a lot of it is because education has a way of discrediting the value that students bring into the classroom. Um, and you kind of spoke to some of you know, these benchmarks or these things that they're expected to learn that 90% of which they're never gonna use mm -hmm. and have, has nothing to do with um, what their passions are. So when we talk about hip hop genius, we're basically saying, we're basically challenging all that's wrong with education by even phrasing it that way because it's just giving credit to um, a culture that has so much, not to contribute, but has already contributed so much to the world, you know? And, um, and so if we just create a trend of giving credit where credit is due, um, acknowledging the strengths and the talents and the, and the natural creativity of students um, as educators, if we make that our sole purpose, or not, not a part of how to get them interested in what you want them to learn, but your sole purpose is to recognize them and have them leave the classroom feeling and understanding their value, then education can start to become education and not indoctrination or not, you know, because we got to think about what it was in America, what was it for? It was to create employees of industries and, and that's industries that have since died, many of, many of them. So um, I'll just go ahead and say I'm proud to be here um, on, on this panel with these people um, and who gave me an opportunity at a time where in all honesty, I needed it, you know? I needed to still work, but I needed someone who understood that in doing so, I'm still pursuing something. And, and um, it's, um, this school and these people share a very special place in my heart because um, this is the work that, you know, that I see myself doing regardless of where music goes or what happens. So thank you for having me a part of this and um, I look forward to chopping it up with the OGs. You know? so. The big homie. The big, the big homie. So I, first I just wanna thank both of you for being here. I'm Tony for the audience out there in podcast mm -hmm. land uh, from High School for Recording Arts. And I want to encourage both of you to, you know, riff off of each other, too, because, you know, more than hearing us talk, we really want to see you guys, like, you know, listening and, and responding because, you know, that's where I know the sparks are going to come. But I do have a question. So hip-hop 
you know, just grew so organically. I'm from New York, you know. I was there. I was there the very okay, night. Okay, we're only started. four minutes in, and Tony got this. Uh, I'm from New York part. Englewood, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I say that to say, um, you know, through that, the fact that edu the, the fact that hip hop taught young people through like artists like KRS-One. You know, when you listen to KRS-One, you knew you were listening to a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and they would say like, Public Enemy was the CNN of the hood. Mm -hmm. You know, there was always that understanding. But for both of you, when did you realize that there was a connection between hip hop and education as we do it? When did you see that, that, that line, like, like that light went off, like, whoa, wait a second within that classroom, within this system, within that building, there's something powerful here that we could be doing that we haven't maybe yet appreciated or tried to do. Um, go ahead. Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and say, I, I never, <clears throat> before high school for recording arts, I never saw like hip hop being taught directly in school. I knew the teachers that I loved, I knew I was like, you like rap music, I could tell, right? <laughs> that was just like the, the extent of, knowing that it was present. Like the ones I connected with, I was like, I know you. And then, and and then maybe on the side. too, as a teacher. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But um, the first time I listened to rap music, um, because I feel like all music is just, um, has the ability, not all music does it, unfortunately, but has the ability to uplift and, you know, and build and educate. But the first time I listened to music, it felt like I was like, okay, this is teaching me, I'm a student of this is when I heard Outkast, you know, and it was my brother, my older brother, he's 10 years older than me. I was 10, he was 20 at a community college. And he's getting, he, his name is Ron Ron at the time. He used to smoke major weed. He probably still blow, but not as much, but smoke major weed, get straight A's. Um, and he was interested in math and he would put me up on Outkast. And then um, he taught me how to talk to girls. And stuff, like, but I just remember, him breaking down the lyrics with me. And that was, that was the moment when I was like, okay, cool. I could be, I could be hood and in, intelligent. I could be, you know, futuristic and love, you know, anime and aliens and imagination and still, and, and still be with the fight and, and know, you know, quiet as kept, know how to work a pistol. You know what I'm saying? Like all of these aren't, aren't necessarily contradictory. And um, I think to listen to something that gave me permission to be all of who I saw myself becoming, um, because you know it was non-optional to be a coward. You know, my mom wasn't having it. So, um, but at the same time, she wasn't. All, she also wasn't having me bringing home anything less than a B plus average. You know, so um, that was when listening to Outkast made me feel like, okay, cool. I could be my whole self. I can. I can love to learn. Like I've always loved to learn damn near competitively, like, if you know it, I wanna know it better, you know? And, and the fact that there was rap music out there that didn't make me feel nerdy in a bad way, cause I, I'll embrace that too, we full on nerds, but you ain't gonna take my lunch money, you know? So, um, but that's, I just remember that feeling and, and I've brought music, even before HSRA, I've, even in Spanish, it's a, a rap group out of the Bay Area called Los Racas. Mm -hmm. 
and I would bring their music into my Spanish classroom and have people break it down. And, and the students would be like, hey, Ferris, you know that's a curse word? I'm like, I know it ain't that bad. It work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like, you know it's a curse word because you hear it all the time. I'm not, you know. But so, um, yeah, I think that I, I kind of went around. But no, music wrong. has the ability to give people permission to be their entire self. And that is educational, you know. Yes. So let me give you a little bit of a context. Um, I started teaching in the school district of Philadelphia, and yeah, the first line of that in West Philadelphia, born and raised, is true about me before that man slapped that man, right? But <laughs> I really was born and raised in West Philadelphia. Uh, but I've always been immersed in music. I lived two blocks from John Coltrane's pianist, McCoy Tyner. My backyard backed up to classical pianist Andre Watts. So there was always music in my environment. And somehow, I went into classrooms to teach and didn't make the connection. I would start every day with the radio on before the kids got there. And I remember one morning, I forgot to turn the radio off. I was rushing. And when I, kids are already there, and I went to turn the radio off, and one of the young men said, Yo, Ms. Billings, don't turn that off. And I was like, whoa. I am missing something so crucial to their lives by not including that. So I've never had a classroom without music. In, the, in my UW classrooms, I have a playlist. I build the playlist with the students because it's that important to them to understand how this music influences the way they see the world the way they understand themselves. So, you know, as I said, I was a history teacher, so I'm always taking the long view. That's just, that's just what I do. So, of course, I'm going to bar borrow some bars from my co-panelists <laughs> here, you know? Eat, smoke, take your time. It's a long dinner, right? <laughs> And as, uh, as you're referencing rhythm and flow, I mean, I've got a question for you, Smoke, about that experience and, and specifically about that experience as a learning opportunity for you and what we might take away from all of that, the pressure, the context, the setting, the setup. So you were on rhythm and flow, right? You won, it's no secret, champ. Um, that's right, that's right. A national, a national competition, um, and you, you, you produced through that experience arguably some of your most powerful work. What was it about that that we as educators can learn from so as to facilitate our students to produce their most powerful work? Hmm. Um. That's, that's a deep question. I don't, I don't know if y'all want to take on the, the ideology of the people that put on rhythm and flow. Uh, they didn't care. You know? so, I don't know how hard on the students you want to be, but um, daring them, what, you, what I would say is pushing them into spaces before they feel ready. Because art is one of those things that when you dare to make mistakes publicly and embrace it, it feels more like art anyway. Like, and I learned that on rhythm and flow. Like when I, I knew I had a, a very lyrical verse 
about my family and about, it was just, it was more words per second than <laughs> I should have done with 24 hours time to get on stage and perform it, you know? And, um, and what they didn't tell you is that like every beat that, that I rapped over on Rhythm and Flow with the exception of the very first one, uh, uh, co-produced, you know, and because the producers had one idea or something and then it was like, nah, we gonna go this way, you know. But, um, but several times I found myself thinking like, what in the hell am I doing here? You know, to the point where, and Shanks can attest to this, um, we were coming from a boxing match in downtown LA and I parked, <laughs> I still had the fob to get into the parking lot at HSRA, so my car is at HSRA and I'm at Staples Center. And uh, we had gone to a boxing match and on a walk back, me and him were just chopping it up like, you know, we don't know if they're looking for a younger artist. I'm 33 years old. We don't know if they're looking for somebody more, you know, bubble gum and, and I'm, I already have like some relationships in the music industry that I can use to kind of get my music out there. I don't want to make a bad showing. You know, I didn't want to embarrass myself. And, and so there was, there was a risk associated with it because there was no precedent set. We didn't know what rhythm and flow was gonna be. You know, so if it came out to be like the rap voice or something corny, then it's like, every time I show up like, hey, what's up, I'm D Smoke, they're gonna be like, hey, you from that corny show. Blood, you ain't listening to you, you know? And so, um, so I called them on that walk and I said, I'm not doing it, you know? Mm. And, and one of the producers from Rhythm and Flow said, what the hell are you talking about, bro? Like, and because I didn't know what conversations they were having on the other side where they were like, this is a guy who's gonna help us to make this something concrete, you know? Um, they saw all the competition, they saw all the auditions and they were like, no, nah, we're pulling for you, you know? And it didn't change that I had to go out there and do what I had to do but they believed that I could do something different on that show. So um, all in all, I, I truly believe that, <clears throat> that teaching students how to, how to embrace their mistakes, embrace their imperfections, and do it publicly is something powerful, you know? Um, and I was never ready, you know, in my head. I, wasn't, I was never ready to go up there and do it. I was nervous every single round. I had to literally tell my hands to stop shaking in the final round. Like, chill out, motherfucker. Like, what are you doing? Like, you got this, you've played this, you know? And so, um, but it's, and I think even Queen Latifah said that. You gotta do it before you're ready, you know? That don't mean don't prepare, like prepare for show, but you won't feel like, because you, you only gain experience in experience, you know? So, um, yeah, push students to, to, to go you know, to, to be strategic, act like you got it already, step up with your head high, don't let nobody see that you're scared, you know, but, you know, do it while you're still scared. So can, can I just jump in on something he said, because throughout um, his last comments, he kept talking about what you have to do, or you, you need to do, do, do. That's the difference between what most of our students experience in school. They don't get to do shit. Mm. Mm. They just have stuff done to them. Wow. wow. So the two places where I've been able to reach students have been in the arts and in athletics. So I'm not mad at my football players and my basketball players because they will tell me how, yeah, I get up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I go in the weight room because I have to do this. 
I, I can't embarrass the team. I can't embarrass myself. That same performativity that human beings desire, we desire to do things. And yet we have never set up a school system except in a place like this where young people get to do. And that, I mean, that's the key to it. It doesn't have to be hip hop. It has to be the opportunity to do you. And right now, they don't get that opportunity. Wow. I, I, I go on. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just really appreciate everything you're saying because you know we haven't we're starting the official deeper learning conference tomorrow. We got a bunch of people here from High Tech High, yeah, and you know, thinking about again the fusion between hip hop and education. Um, you know, we're big on projects. We're big on exhibits. And um, one of the co-founders of High Tech High, Rob Roy, that always talks about every young person needs to be a part of the exhibit. And he said there would be times where a teacher would say, well, that kid's not ready. No. He's like, he has or she has to still present for the very reasons that you're saying. And it's, so, it's just so interesting to me that, that concept and idea around art around athletics, mm -hmm. around schools that do things like we do in High Tech High and others who recognize that young people learn best from doing mm -hmm. is just really interesting to mm -hmm. me. I forget what musician said it um, when they said, it's not, you can't, there are no bad notes because it's the note it's that you play note. after it's it that makes note. it art. Miles Davis. <laughs> yeah, Miles, Miles I thought Davis. it was Miles. So there you go. Um, if we apply that to like when students are using projects, like how, like comedians do that all the time, just that, that freeness to be yeah. human in front of people yeah. makes everybody in the room just feel better. And, um, and, and I remember teaching at HSRA LA and all the projects, and that's where the moments were created, like when the students had the teachers laughing. And when you, you know, it, when a student looks up and sees that you're laughing, and it's unfortunate because sometimes they do it when you don't want to laugh and then they get you and you just be like, <laughs> And then they were like, ha ha, I got you, Ferris, right? <laughs> but they, you know, they know they've moved somebody, you know? And so when you create those type of experiences, it's super powerful, to, powerful in any educational space. And, and that's like, I, I read a book as a teacher called First Days, and it's about the importance of how you start off that experience of students acclimating themselves to your classroom. and. Um, one of my goals was always to create, like one, to get them to put on paper and to articulate what their life experiences were, right? So I'd start off, I'd model it by being like, you know, Pops was locked up, I did martial arts, this, that, all, all the things, i just throw it all on the table and then be like, all right, now y'all tell me. And then describe your community, describe you and your community, and then we'll have a discussion around that. And try not to make it so dark, you know, because even in the hood, it's just funny shit at all times. Mm -hmm. At all times. Like, even gang members are the funniest people you ever met, you know, while it's not violent, you know. But, um, but just to, I forgot where I was going with that. But, yeah, jazz music. Everybody listen to jazz music. <laughs> the, that, this whole piece that, that each of you has talked about, and, and Tony, that you were touching on around giving students the opportunity to do and to learn through mistakes or, or whatnot. TC reminds me of something that you said to me when we were working on the first book around, if I had known how hard it would be to start a school, I probably never would have done it. Mm -hmm. And I tried to create a school that kind of puts students in a similar situation. Like they know enough 
to try and be supported. They're not going to get hurt if they fail, but they don't know everything about how hard something might be that would discourage them from even jumping in and trying it, and that you tried to build the school to kind of imbue that same thing that you had experienced in the process of starting it. Yeah. Do you well, want to? Yeah. I, I um, thanks. First of all, I just have to say thank you to the staff and the students at HSRA. This, this place has been an, an amazing dream come true, and there's so much energy and opportunity that's coming out of here. And, you know, like, like you said, I, I realized when um, you don't know, sometimes you can be overeducated. You know too much and you don't, you don't even try to do it because the obstacles seem insurmountable. Because truly, if I knew what I was gonna have to go through, I could have never accomplished this. But I think moving forward and having all of the obstacles and everything revealed to me, I'm really looking to people um, who are like sitting on this panel and people everywhere what, what do we do to command and demand freedom to really educate our young people and give them the opportunity that they really need outside of um, indoctrination and, and just being, um, having education done to them? We have to continue that fight. And so I'm looking for other ways to, to navigate that water and figure out what are we gonna do? How, how do, you, is there, do you have anything that you think would be um, working for us? Yeah. Um, I think, and I feel like we've done this a little bit, but like a student run tour, like, like in the forward I kind of spoke to like how, how many different professions I had to interact with to successfully complete a tour and um, to, to have a, a module or a class or a, a, a course like that's all project-based where the end result is with every student playing a different role, a successfully run tour. And um, because around the artists, there's so many different roles they can play. And of course, we all share the common passion for music, but you know, I got a homie that does sound engineering and he does it for you know, Kendrick Lamar and Everybody, he does live engineering, and then, then another homie who does that as well for uh, you know the Jacksons when they tour and all that. Um, but they all came from the same like small little church where they was doing it at the back of the church, and then branched out into it. And and so, <clears throat> and then another friend who's like tour managing, then another friend, and these are like homies who I could see myself in a classroom setting with. Like I would be just as cool with them there as I am on tour, um, but. I think as a project, I think that would be something that's like, okay, now our goal is to make, you know, the engineers, the, the, there's so much math that goes into it from the people building the stage. Like if, if there was somewhere a way, somehow a way to, I don't know if it's a partnership with, with Live Nation or something that has students in every place that, you know, that, each job that's required to put on a tour, but I just see that being something that, that could really help students get hands-on experience early on and, and just get exposed to all the things around music that'll keep you listening to music. And, cause fame ain't for everybody, man, you know? Like some people, <laughs> yeah. it ain't, you know, it's hard. But, but um, 
but it's so much, it's so much money to be made in, <laughs> around music, you know, so, yeah. And, and I guess I would say that we, we have to recognize that students are experts in their own lives. They know their lives better than anybody in the room. So the question is, what is the problem that you are experiencing in your life that you want to work on and solve? If, if, if you can solve that problem, whatever it takes, whether it is math or science or, or the social studies or, or the arts, can you bring those things to bear on that problem? Then that's when you're going to have a satisfying education. You know, in my household, I have four kids, four adult kids. Well, they're supposed to be adults, but one of them is still in my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still paying her bills. Um, but in our household, the rule was you have to do one art and one science every year. We don't care what art it is, and we don't care what science it is. Excuse me, one art and, and one sport. We don't care what it is, and you don't have to do it the same one all the time. But once you commit to it, you got to do it that year, right? And it's interesting because some of my kids move more towards the athletics, and some move more towards the arts, but they all learn something doing the other thing that they didn't think they wanted to do. My daughter loves playing the viola, but she'd be agonizing over her track time. She's like, I got to get better times. I need to run with better people. I mean, she just, you know. Um, or I have a, you know, a son uh, who lived in LA and he had a band and you know, he loved the music, but near the end of his life he was talking about all of this athletic stuff he was doing. So now we're in the next generation. I have five grandkids. My oldest granddaughter plays for the Atlanta Dream, WNBA, she's a UCLA grad. So, and when I look at the focus, that she has devoted to this. You know, when, when I first came out to UCLA and saw that girl playing basketball, I didn't even recognize her <laughs> because it so consumed her. It was so much her passion. And what frustrates me about what we do in the so-called <clears throat> schooling environment is we don't really care about people's passions. We don't care what you're passionate about. We just say, you got to do this. You got to do that. And until we begin to tap into young people's passions, we're never going to be successful with them. Uh, so, so this question is for Dr. OGLB, the big homie. <laughs> and it's about blowing up and going viral as an academic. You have done that probably as much as an academic can. And so the question is in reflecting upon this somewhat modern phenomenon of going viral, what was that like for you? And what about that experience might we take away in the education space? So D. Smoke mentioned that fame is not for everybody. And I made a decision to not worry about success and to focus on significance. Bars. So I'm much more likely to tell you about, quote, my legacy, the young people who are out here blowing up because I had a chance to spend time with them. 
Um, you know, I, I'm on the advisory board for our first wave hip hop arts program at the University of Wisconsin. One of our first cohort people was a young man from this area, Denez Smith, the poet. And to see him go from someone who was totally disinterested in school to become like a poet laureate, you know, I uh, got another young brother, um, Johnny Triumph, who's won contests on uh, spoken word contests. Just to see these young people pursue their dreams, for me, that, that, that's the significance. I, you know, I could care less about the success. Everybody got to hustle, you know, everybody got to hustle. Um, helping to get these young people out here to pursue their dreams, that's my hustle. Can I, can I, yes, can I build on that question too for, bo for both of you? Um, so one of the things that I admire about each of you is, so you've both blown up in that way and, and had these successful careers, and one of the things that comes with that is a lot of people coming to you, just the people dynamics, I guess, right? So you got people who, I mean, both of you are like, people love y'all, you know, like you don't have nearly as many haters as a lot of people, but you do, you know, there's haters, there's the oh, subliminals. No, I know you do, we were talking about it a little bit. Listen, Alan Iverson is, gives me my mantra. My haters make me great. Thank yes. you, haters. Thank you. <laughs> so, okay, so you're already answering the question. So this is the question. Like, how do you deal with the haters, the ones who are coming at your neck directly? How do you deal with the subliminal, like they smile in your face, but they're kind of sneak dissing you? And then also, like, you each have collaborated and really lifted up other folks. Um, you know, you've chosen to align yourself with certain people and I feel like you both have had just like impeccable I don't know if the word is instincts taste what it is but like you you know when I look at who you each collaborate with it's p folks who like build you up you know like it makes the work better um, so I, I guess I'm just curious for each of you like how you navigate all those human dynamics that come with that level of visibility um, especially when it's work that is so important to you um, you know you're dealing with something it's it, that that you know you're, you're taking care of, whether it's the art or the scholarship or the combination of the two or however you would define it. So we'd just love to hear from each of you about how you navigate those human dynamics of putting your work into the world. Well, I mean, I'll start by just saying, you know, both of us grew up in the community. I'm not gonna say the hood, I'm gonna say it's the community because that's what it was for us. Other people describe it as the hood. We didn't know any better. Like, isn't this how people live, right? right. And, and one of the things that the community demands of you is authenticity. The community cannot stand fake stuff. And it was not until I left my community and was with other places, and I'm like, y'all thinking this is good? <laughs> you got away with that? Y'all saying, you, you really think this is okay? I mean, you, that you see the phoniness and the fakeness, and it's like that, that, that was not the standard. And I think that's one of our challenges with our students. They hate mediocrity, or they hate it. They absolutely, our kids want excellence. And so our school system is built on mediocrity. You know, it was like, you know, a C is good. We elect presidents with C averages. It's like, oh, that's good. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how, how, you know, I, I mean, I've traveled the world and literally people in other countries say, how do y'all pick these people? I mean, like, they, they like, 
the middle of the road people. You know, some of them ain't even in the middle of the road. They, they bring it up the rear and y'all are like vocal for these people. So it's a really interesting ethic that capitalism, because we monetize everything. I mean, I make my students read the big payback so they understand the business of hip hop, okay? Yeah. And I talk to them a lot about how they are just giving their, their product away. I mean, I've had students who go to poetry slams and say, people up there doing my poem. I'm like, yeah, because you put it on YouTube. And it was good. <laughs> and so they took it. And so just trying to understand how do you stay authentic? How do you stay relevant? And how do you stay significant in a culture that glamorizes people for doing nothing? I mean, we got TV shows where people, they don't do nothing. They don't add no value <laughs> whatsoever. Oh, they, I mean, they take from people. God, they don't give anything. And we, we steady paying, right? So this is the, the challenge of making sure that we stay authentic. And we look for that, at least I think, you know, in the people that we interact with. Yeah, people are going to tell you, oh, I love your work. Oh, I just, that, that comes with it. Don't, we can't get the big head over that. Because tomorrow that person be writing a critique about you. Absolutely. Tomorrow that person be on social media, well, she didn't even say nothing to me and I told her so. Mm -hmm. you, you, can't, you can't ride that particular wave. You do have to learn to be as true to yourself as you know how to be. Wow. What was the question again? <laughs> it, was, it has something to do with navigating human interaction and collaborating with different people. Collaboration, competition, just those human dynamics that, and how they can, you know, inform and affect the work you're putting in the world. Got you. Um, as, an, as a recording artist or rapper, um, one, I, I, I like to just trust my instincts about things. Um, when I'm collaborating with something, if it's not an opportunity to do something different, then I usually kind of like, I'm hesitant. Um, not to say that I won't do it, um, but it, it's funny because I've reached out to a lot of artists that I love and respect for a feature, and, and you know, they've kind of gave me the nod, like, man, I love what you're doing, but nothing might have come of it, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, I'm a big boxing fan, right? And um, I don't charge nobody for that response, right? Because I believe that um, that the price for a feature is, in general, is it being mutually beneficial, yeah. right? Now, it does benefit me to be the first person to discover somebody that's super dope. That's beneficial, like, hey, I wanna put y'all up on this kid, you know, what I'm saying, from St. Paul, and we gonna do something, you know? So that's, that, that's a form of mutually beneficial. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you got, I got one point, whatever, million followers and you got two something so let's get it don't have to be that you know especially when you're an artist like myself who does look to add value not just gain or take from what the game has to offer um so but when it's when people don't respond to me you know i don't take that as they haven't you know they they don't see my value necessarily but you know people you know i i'm just an understanding person so i don't you know and my my business doesn't require other artists. So 
Um, I think the main goal is to be self-sustaining so that everything else is fun and everything else is added. Um, but I can't wait to put out a project that ain't got nobody on there, you know? So it's just like, hold on, man, let me show y'all what's up real quick, act up. But, um, but you, you gotta trust your instincts. Um, Toby Nwigwe is a good friend of mine that we collaborated with and, and um, yes, yes. You can clap it up for that boy, that boy bad. Yeah. That's a cold artist. Yes, indeed. But as much of an artist as he is, he's that man, that's the person that he is, you know? And sitting in a room with people tells the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, some people I've gotten in a room with and I've been just super disappointed by their energy and I'm like, damn, you let me down. You, you cut me deep, Shrek, you know, like, you I looked up to you before I met you and, and your energy is not saying the same story than other people who, who you know, you get in a room with and you're like, man, I'm, I'm proud to be connected with you. One of which is like Snoop Dogg. People can say whatever they want about Snoop Dogg, but I have nothing negative about how this dude mentors rappers in the game, shows up in communities that are red dominated and he the blue boy of the world, you know what I'm saying? And he'll buy food for everybody on the block and show up and, and shake hands and not, and just be unafraid because he knows, you know, who he is. And, and so it's just, you, you trust the energy of people. And, um, and always welcome when it's collaborative, welcome that friendly competition. Welcome that, like, if you, if you don't, are we cursing today? You've already okay. been cursing, I mean, you're gonna ask now? I mean, it just depends on which one. If you, don't, if you don't fuck with me today, you know what I'm saying, I give you good reason to, to fuck with me late, but just remember that I, I knew you wasn't, I knew you was late to the ballpark, you know, so. It's art, the beauty of what she said about putting her kids in art and sports, they're both inherently competitive. Mm -hmm. And when you said the students love, they love excellence, they, they hate teachers that make things easy on them. They may not say they hate you, they might take the easy, easy route and be like, cool, I'm gonna just chill here because my next class is, is hard, so I'm gonna just take a break. But they really don't respect you at all if you don't challenge them. So to put students in art and athletics is such a, a dope instinct because they're naturally competitive. So embrace that part of it, show up to the plate and start to say stuff that you start to say stuff before you actually believe it. Like, I'm, I'm not stepping in this studio without something dope happening. Mm -hmm. Period. You know what I'm saying? And that's why people listen to Jay-Z, because he give you the mantra, like, you start feeling dope when you say them lyrics out loud about yourself, you know? So say those kind of things. And, and I'll just finish by saying, like, you, you got um, to have it before you actually have it in your hand. You know what I'm saying? And you got to know it. So you say it first, the power of your words. That's uh, a rapper said, um, they asked why I sound so passionate rapping. It's from Cali Swag District. They ask why I sound so passionate rapping. It's because if I say it, it'll actually happen. You know, and, and so mm, apply yes. that to when you're going into the studio, when you're going on the court. That's why people listen to stuff like, that puts them in that zone, but that, that's, that, I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> yes. And, and, and I wanna say that uh, a part of the work of the teacher is being the catalyst, right? You don't have to do the work, you just have to catalyze the work, right? So I have, a very, I have a passion for young black women because I think that their representation in the media, in the arts, 
all over the place. I mean, look at what's happening to Brittany Griner, right? It's, 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 I mean, they're, they're struggling and they're suffering. And so I do this activity with them where I use this poem. It is the, the, the poet, and I, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but she says this is the shortest poem I've ever written. So I read the poem to the students and then I ask them, okay, the poem is really, really short, so now write the next line. Here's the poem, even Beyonce. <laughs> and when I tell you that these young women, even Beyonce, have trouble with her man. <laughs> even Beyonce worried about baby weight. Even, because, you know, we've created an icon. You know, we, we, we've tried to make Ms. Carter perfection, right? And so, the idea is that she didn't have any problems or she didn't have anything to deal with. Helping young women understand that it's just a condition of being a woman in a society that is sexist, that is racist, that is homophobic, that is against people with disabilities. Anything that is colored outside the lines is, quote, wrong in the society. And part of the work of the educator is to do the repair to help young people, you, you just find just the way you are, okay? You don't have to twist and turn yourself and be somebody else to be acceptable. That's not a message that meant most of our kids here, and I would venture probably the lion's share of the young people who come here have heard a different message before they got here. Well, yes, yes. So I just have to say how cool it is to be up here, part of this conversation. And um, with that, after this question, we're going to share that space with the rest of the audience. So the original Hip Hop Genius, the first book, the one Sam wrote, was basically this man's story and about the creation of High School for Recording Arts. And obviously, it just, you know, it, it, it made a statement, a movement. It, it, you know, it became something that really um, set, set the stage for hip hop pedagogy and, you know, what we could possibly do. So, why write a 2.0, right? Basically, we knew it was a call to action. Ten years later, after Hip Hop Genius, what has changed? You know, what have we done to move the needle? there's still all of these black, brown, indigenous, and even all young people who are just, you know, wasted in this system that doesn't really honor them, get to know them. So, you know, our whole aim is that high school for recording arts shouldn't be, you know, this mm -hmm. unicorn, right? Mm -hmm. You know, these young people around the country need more people understanding hip hop pedagogy, not from just a genre of music, but really about loving young people, about honoring them. So my question is, what do we do? Would you, you know, we're, at, we're asking the question, but it's like, you know, how do we begin to bend the arc? COVID kind of, you know, it, it disrupted the system, right? For the first time, we begin to see some light, you know, that the system was beginning to understand that young people can't just be taken advantage, you know, for, you know, they're voting with their feet. A lot of them aren't even coming back. But now, 
Everyone's trying to go back to normal within the system. How could we make this thing make a difference so that we can um, have hip hop genius really be about something? I mean, I think that's, it's a tough question because it's not an either or question. I think it's a both and question. On the one hand, we know that our young people are creating this art form. On the other hand, we know that it's been so monetized. I mean, if it weren't for, quote, white middle class kids, it'd be hard to, to make money, right? That, that's who's buying, it's buying, buying the art. Um, but it's still devalued, right? So there's, there's this tension between we want it, but we don't want it. Um, and then we have an entire cadre of educators who don't know anything. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm talking about my own people. We don't know anything about the art form. We think, well, we can use it as a gimmick, right? Mm -hmm. We can get you in here, we give you some vocabulary, vocabulary, whatever this is, <laughs> say some food, we rhyme the alphabet. You know, Sesame Street taught us that in the late 60s, okay? <laughs> Let's move on from that. So we, we have this incredible tension between the integrity and authenticity of the art and the way it is packaged and sold back to us as if we didn't create it. There's a, there's a, a commercial that I use in one of my presentations, the commercial's from 1992. It is the Flintstones, Fruity Pebbles commercial. <laughs> Barney come in with some Adidas on. Now, when have you seen a Flintstone with some shoes on, right? <laughs> he got on Adidas, he got the gold chain, so you know, and a pork pie hat, he got wraparound sunglasses, so you know he is sort of invoking Run DMC. You got Fred scratching with the pterodactyl needle on the, and I'm like, are y'all trying to say that we didn't make this? Because if you look at that, what you think is, well, post serial made hip hop because here it is. So how do we, you know, just like you talked about having the uh, professor who said, you know, history of rock and roll is really the history of white people stealing black music. The same pattern exists. And I think when you look to, there are certain artists who are trying to change the game. I think Chance the Rapper is someone who tried to say, you know what, I don't need to do, do that label thing you're doing. I think Jay-Z, of course. I mean, the, the, the folks who have been able to be more entrepreneurial and break out of the regular system are showing us something. But, but it, th this machine is big. This is, people making tons of money. They will not produce a movie, a series, or anything without a hip hop soundtrack. That, that's just it. Okay. And yeah. then you remember when Do the Right Thing came out, they were scared. Oh, they're going to riot. You know, when, when uh, uh, Public Enemy is, is singing Fight the Power, oh, they're going to riot, right? Then they realized, no, this thing actually sells. We could actually make money off of it. So I think the tension between encouraging young people to do the art and the monetization of it, which they don't really benefit from, is one that is very, very difficult for us to kind of navigate. And if we as educators aren't willing to do the learning, you know, I help kids write their um, 
college application, we use cool mode D's, I go to work. That's, that, that's what we start with. We look through, how is this guy talking about himself? I also like it because it's the only rap song that got the word dissertation in it. You know, I like that. Right. It has the word dissertation in it. Right. I think there have been a couple since. Since then? Okay. Well, I, that's the one I remember. But what I'm saying is until we as educators learn more about the art form, we can't, you know, we can only do a boutique program. We can only get a handful of educators to put together a school. How do we get, I mean, I think the real question is how do we get it across the spectrum for young people? And also, I just want to say, if you, if you go back to the original hip-hop genus and the, the notion of flipping something into nothing, it's not always about the music. It's literally about doing something totally different for yes. kids. And that's, that's the part that I hope we can get educators to buy into. Yes. Um, I think um, given the way people are used to um, digesting new information, I think the book, and, and maybe I'm, this might not be an original idea, I don't want to assume that I'm taking credit or whatever, but um, it would be interesting to see a documentary come together and put it like really, I don't know, Netflix. Or, if only you know, we knew Amazon. someone at Netflix who had a relationship with Netflix who could holler at them. Man, I just gotta <laughs> figure out who that person is, you know. But no, no, it would. I would love to see, you know, hip hop genius documentary on Netflix, and um, and I will for sure lend, you know, my Rolodex and and time to getting people to talk about it. People, you know, there's so many big, heavy hitters in rap who are willing to, who now are at a place where it's like, I've made money. Like, I've made money. And, and we, t we, we know a million ways to impact students and lives and stuff. It's second nature to us. But people who have been in the money world for so long, and that, that's why TC plays such an interesting role, like having been an artist and being able to do this, that's what it's supposed to look like to be rich. It's supposed to look exactly like what you're doing because you have resources, you can't spend all that shit. You know what I'm saying? Not you in particular, but these artists, you know, the Snoops, the TIs, you know? And um, when I hit them with these ideas, they're like, oh, I ain't know, you know? They, they know where to put it to make it grow. They got a whole strong team of people, but, but they don't necessarily, it's a completely unsafe assumption to, to think that they know how to make an impact. And it's crazy because they're, they have such a huge impact, <laughs> but they don't know how to do it like tangibly and so, intentionally. and intentionally. So to give them an opportunity to do so, to be like, hey look, there are people who are putting your music in schools and using it in a way that's gonna help kids understand themselves intentionally and, and valuing the kids, you know, because they also know some of the negative effects that some of their music has had, you know, they gotta live with it. Mm -hmm. So um, I say all that to say, um, in the way that I can speak to it, there's so many artists that I'd love to be like, hey, we're doing this documentary, let me get 30 minutes of your time, we'll pull up and, and get you on camera talking about it. And to do it, to do it first and then to pitch it is so much more powerful, but I think that would be something really dope to do. Um, because if we create the demand for it, then 
and, and some people just need to be shown instead of told what, what it looks like. And, mm -hmm. and so, and, and in doing so, we capture what's already happening here and, and perhaps educators in public institutions that are up against, like I was up against so much. I had to, I had to argue against, uh, the only thing that kept me from getting fired plenty times was that the students were like, he's an excellent teacher, mm -hmm. you know? And so the, the, I would tell principals to their face like, no, you know, like, you're not, I'm not gonna do that, no. I'm not gonna teach straight to the answers of the test, no. If I kick a student out, you're not putting them back in my class because I love them to death and I'll kick them out for a reason, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna compromise the whole vibe of this class. Like, and, and I couldn't do that if I wasn't doing well with the students, you know? Um, so, but I think it should be a documentary. I think it should be on, on TV where people see it and they're like, oh my God, hip hop and education. I never knew. <laughs> Y'all he heard it here first. There it is. Yes. Make some noise you for D Smoke. You spoke it into existence. With a, hey, with a dope ass soundtrack, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Make some noise for GLB, y'all. Let's open it up to a Q&A. I'll come around with this microphone here. If there's folks who want to ask some questions, go ahead and raise your hand. I'll come to you. Mr. Joe Nathan, right here. Oh, I know Joe. <laughs> I know nobody with a mask, but I know who he is. So, I want to pick up on the comment that was just made about a documentary. 46 years ago, a young man got tapped on the shoulder because he was sleeping in school and he's on the stage right now and he might want to tell more of that story <laughs> but he hated school and he might want to say more about that and he was in a school where people believed in the things that you were talking about and had a chance to do projects and make a difference and it was about what do you care about and Dr. Ladson Billings, 41 years ago, you came to this city and stunned people by telling- Was that three? <laughs> <laughs> and you showed precisely that kind of wit, which made you beloved. So I wanna suggest three things. First, we should forget trying to convince educators is a priority. Because we tried that for 40 years. And they've tried to kill this school and they've killed a lot of really good schools that were trying to do it. They haven't killed this one yet. They haven't killed the school that TC went to, but they've tried and they've... So I want to suggest three things. One, that we ought to pick up on trying to work with Netflix. The founder of Netflix actually loves charters. That's number one. We ought to pick up on that and we ought to use the arts the way that the women's movement and gay rights have used places like the movie Rent and the musical, because I think we need to go to the public. I think, I mean, we've tried for 45, 50 years to convince people in colleges of education with due respect, and they don't buy it. So one, we ought to be doing that. Two, we ought to have more stages where not only wonderful people like you, but also younger people are there, because TC helped convince people all over the United States when he was 16 and 17 about why this kind of thing makes sense. So we ought to have young people at the center of all of this. And I don't mean any disrespect to any of the adults at the, on the table, but we ought to have young people because their stories are really compelling. So that's number two. 
And number three, we ought to have a massive effort geared to the election that's coming up where young people are helping to lead the discussions with the people who are running for office all over the United States. Mm. And those are co three concrete things I think we ought to be doing in the next six months, and I'd welcome your response. And by the way, uh, David and I have known each other for 46 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't disagree with you, Joe. First of all, it's good to see you. Um, I'm an advocate of failing big. And what I mean by that is when, you know, every day in classrooms all across this country, people are having small failures. And when you have a small failure, you try to hide it, right? Oh, that didn't really happen. But when you have a big failure, you have to confront it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, even when we think we want to do something new or different or exciting, we have to be willing to experience the failure that might go along with this. Case in point. Allen Iverson is the reason why hip-hop and basketball is like this. By himself, from his braided hair to what he was wearing that caused the commissioner to change the rule. You can't wear a throwback jersey. You can't wear a, a, a baseball cap. Grown men being told what they could wear, but because they were scared of what Allen Iverson represented. But what he represented was where the youth culture was going. So in some ways, when we say, well, he, he, he quote, failed because they made all these rules about it. But no, he really actually opened up the, the entire basketball and athletic arena where people said, no, this is really our culture. This is, this is what we care about. This is what we do. You're not going to sell Beats headphones without getting them on an athlete. You're not going to sell certain things that come from the arts without getting them on the athletes. So I think we have to be willing to maybe fail, maybe have a big failure, so that we can at least begin to say, well, this doesn't work or this didn't work, uh, so this is what we ought to try. Because I think we have grown comfortable with all the little failures we have every single day in every single classroom, and as long as it's not so big that it causes an uproar, we don't do very much about it. Our children have been murdered in these streets for years, for, for decades, but we've had some big incidents that you know, we are all, our hearts are all breaking over, and finally we seem to be getting a bit of push and movement towards that. So I'm not saying we need to have that kind of failure that hurts people, but I think we do have to be willing to put ourselves out there, uh, go for broke on this, to be able you know, to say our kids matter that much to us. Uh, I just have a question for anybody on the panel, uh, but especially Dr. Billings and, and Dee Small. I'm right here. Sorry. <laughs> I know you're like, what? Um, just thinking about what's going on, you guys talked about art, talked about uh, education, and now we're on the cusp of this technology uh, industry and everything that's going on, uh, social media, Web3, all, these, all this stuff, right? We're trying to figure it out. Um, how does an artist, how does hip-hop, how do we 
own our own stuff, right? Because I remember seeing Black Planet as a young uh, mm -hmm. first year college student explode yep. and become the first social media platform Absolutely. and then get sold for a million dollars. Um, and then I saw uh, MySpace take that to the next level and Facebook and then on and on and on. And even most uh, recently, uh, I can't remember the, techno uh, the Clubhouse, mm -hmm. right? Clubhouse came out, used our image and then blew up. How do we own our own stuff as it moves into this technology future? and away from just being a recording arts, but into a whole new world that we don't even understand. That's a tough question. Um, I, I can answer it on a smaller sense. Um, I'm just proud that in the hip hop community, artists are a little bit more aware now than they were in like the earlier 2000s um, of the contracts that they're getting into. Um, and so it's interesting when you start talking about having an idea like a social network platform and, and I'm glad you said that out loud because I've been saying like Black Planet was the first one, you know what I'm saying? You know, I had a Black Planet page and, and even as far as, you know, while I was a teacher, somebody found it and I was like, how do I delete this thing? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> have all my high school gang stuff and then I was like, oh man. But, um, but that's difficult because you see that um, it's a different uh, arena when it comes to the social networking. Like TikTok pops up and then, like there was Vine for a second and mm -hmm. Instagram was like, oh no, nah, we gonna like, it's videos now. We, we ain't just pictures no more. Then Vine disappears, you know, then Instagram, I don't know if Facebook buys Instagram and it's so that they can collaborate and stay, you know, so, um, certain spaces, um, there's such a big investment from, I don't know no other way to put it, but from the monsters, from the, uh, from the, the, corporate the corporate people who are invested in controlling the world, you know, um, that, you know, you step into certain places and it gets real hostile. So I don't know that world, um, but I do know uh, as an artist, being an entrepreneur is the way to maintain, uh, maintain ownership, like managing yourself first, you know, having discipline internally and then allowing that to spread into the people that you, you work with and, and inspire the people that you collaborate with is the way to begin to monetize things at just a small level and, and watching them grow. Um, because I, I'm proud to say that I've done 90% uh, of the things that I ask other people to do for me, you know, and so I know what to expect from them, and, and I think that's really key for an artist. You know, while we're doing it, it hurts. It's like, damn, why I gotta shoot, why I gotta set up a tripod? Ask Mike, I, I brought tripods to HSRA, and part of what, part of what uh, got me the opportunity on Rhythm and Flow is doing a series called Run the Subtitles, and, um, and I would have, I would just record these half Spanish, half English raps and put them, put the subtitles under it. But I was recording them, editing them. You know, he was seeing before they came out. Then one time we chose to detonate them and then it was coming out every week and then I got a phone call, you know, so. Um, but being that entrepreneur is the way for artists to, to maintain ownership because when somebody comes promising you something then you're like, so? 
You know, I know how to do that. Um, again, Toby Nwigwe, I learned so much from him. He's a master at being, um, uh, what is the word? We, we say nimble, like being able to move light, you know, but being um, resourceful, you know, and to be able to do so, they can't say, oh, we'll spend this kind of money on you and get you in a grip of debt. And then now you're not, you're no longer working for yourself. So, um, so yeah, but, but I, would, I, I hate that they're like, oh, the Zuckerberg is a genius. You know, it's like, he didn't start that shit. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but yeah, I'm gonna leave it at that. And, and, and I want to take it a, in a little different direction to say the notion of owning is a very Western notion that most artists that I know want to put something into the world. They want people to enjoy it. They want people to, to, to grow from it, to experience it. Now, they want to make a living, but the bigger agenda, the larger agenda, is to create, create the kind of beauty that is enduring. Yes. You know, one of my, you know, I told you I used to teach U.S. history and I taught it in Philadelphia, so you know I know all about Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin was a G. Can I tell you that? Because here's a guy who says, oh, what if we let people come and get a book, and read it for a couple weeks and bring it back? What? <laughs> yeah, like, just like I have, like I have a, a bunch of books and people just come and get a book, read it, bring it back, get another book. Well, what are we gonna charge them? We ain't gonna charge them nothing. What? You gonna charge them nothing? No. You just let them come get books <laughs> and take the books home and bring the books back. I didn't bring my books back. <laughs> now, someone said to him, you ought to patent that stuff, man. He said, no. I, I, just, I just want that to be in the community. So here's a guy in the 1700s saying, go to, go to a building and go get a book. Here we are in the 21st century. Yeah, we know what a library is. What, what, what is it that we want to contribute to the world? Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and I don't want us to lose sight of that because I think that's the bigger picture. Again, like I said, everybody needs to make a living. Everybody wants to eat. But, you know, Smoke said, listen, it's only so much money you can, he said, how many cars can you drive at one time, right? <laughs> at one time. <laughs> you know, how, how many houses can you live in at one time? So at, at some level, we do have to help our students understand that they are to make a mark on the world. And they do, I mean, they do it all the time. I mean, the entire fashion industry is based on what our kids wear because they come up with some crazy stuff, right? <laughs> and then you see them walking down the street, and you'd be like, whoa, why you got on one green sock and one yellow sock? Mm, I felt like that this day. Hey. There's, there's somebody, bombers are gonna make green and yellow socks, right? Hey, so we know people are going to take their ideas, but we want them to feel confident in being able to put stuff out into the world. I have literally had people come up to me wanting to sell me something on culturally relevant pedagogy. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> seriously? That's what you want to do? That's what we're doing? You're taking my stuff and packaging and selling it back to me? So we know people will do that. But we do want, like I said, we just don't want our kids to lose sight of the really, again, this notion of what kind of significance do they want to have? What mark do they want to leave on the world? When I think of someone like Nipsey Hussle, 
he left a mark on the world. He didn't just, you know, he didn't just make money and now I got all these songs out. It's an enduring, important mark. Kobe Bryant, it's an enduring, important mark. And so that's, that's what we really want for our young people. We want the ability for them to change the world and to believe they can do it. So we have time for a few more questions here, and then we're going to have a performance from an HSRA alumni. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hand it here to Kojak for a question. Go ahead. Yo. Uh, so my question was, uh, like, where, uh, the power of academics in as well as uh, music and artistry, I feel like that contributes a lot to, like, storytelling. And, like, uh, how would you say, uh, especially in this age of new technology and stuff and like a lot of different platforms with different content on it is uh, the best way for uh, youth or just like artists in general and stuff like that to uh, maintain like being true to their story because I feel like we're in an age now where it's like also a lot of distractions pulling you away from your own truth and like the being able to realize that your own story is the thing that I hope you get you know out of your situation or the embracing of it. Um. Thank you for that question. Um, it was multiple parts to it too that I'm hearing. I think it's like, how do we in this time uh, as young people uh, tell our authentic stories and not be too distracted by like a lot of the stuff that's going on in, in this age. Um, it's, a, it's a couple healthy practices that I would just uh, prescribe to young people today. Um, and as I say this, I'm not saying this from a standpoint of like, yes, I do this every day, so maybe you should. It's like, I'm talking to myself like, smoke, put your phone down for a certain amount of hours, you know. Um, journal, like smoke, journal more. Um, and even if it's, uh, what's funny is I, I have all kind of stuff like in my phone, like doodling and draw, drawings. And, but when I, when I go into certain sessions, I intentionally have a notepad. And my mind just switches into a different uh, mode because the difference between a phone notepad and, and a pen and pad is like a phone, yeah, you can put ideas in, but it's sending ideas back to you, right? Whereas a notepad is like, okay, you can go ahead and pour, and it's not gonna tell you anything, it's just a, a listening ear. And so, and so um, I think, um, one of the best things I ever did, and, and so journaling is strong because it just exercises your writing muscle. And there's a there's a book called The Artist's Way. I forget the uh, I forget the author, but she one thing that she starts off by saying is like the the free pages, daily free pages, morning pages. Right? Morning pages yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And she's like, don't judge yourself, even if you say if even if you start off saying I'm writing, so I'm supposed to keep writing. So let's let this uh, these words keep coming out. Why am I blabbering? I don't know. Probably because I didn't eat breakfast. What do I want for breakfast? You know what I'm saying? And then it might turn into something like, you know, what I really need to do is X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, just get in the habit of doing that or, or going back through your thoughts, documenting what happened in your day. Um, I think one of the best things I did as an artist is just learn how to write, period. Not just write raps. You know, write stories, write ideas. And, and uh, part of that is understanding how people digest information and structuring your own ideas in a way that they could be fully understood. So I think um, that's a craft because writing is just a form of communication. 
you know, people people be like, oh, for a rapper, you're you're pretty articulate, and it's because I can. I've written enough of my own ideas to be able to know where I'm coming from, and um, I would I would say that's something that artists should get into, like, you know, step away from technology. You know, there have been times where I've and I'm guilty. I've thrown my phone just as a sign of like telling myself put it down. So I know I'm aiming at the couch or the bed, but I'll throw it. You know what I'm saying? Like ah, get out of here. You know. And so, um, but those are, those are some practices that I think of. And, and of course, read. Like my, my morning schedule is like pray, read, eat, exercise, plan. You know, and then I should add a J in there, but it don't, mm. it don't like add to prep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> prep J. You know? And I also think that your, your, your comment about the narrative is so important. You know, the one thing that everybody wants to be in control of is their own narrative. They want, to, they want to write their own story. We live in a society in which you can see something, you can look at it, and people tell you, no, you didn't see that. I mean, I'm like, it's January 6th, I'm watching this. I can see this. No, you ain't seeing that, that ain't what happened. So the ability to control your own narrative and the way you do it is you gotta write it, um, is important, it's crucial. Our young people are having narratives written about them that make them unrecognizable to themselves. It's like, that's who, that, you know, I, I saw the other day something, it might have been a rerun or something, but it was Mike Brown's mother from Ferguson. And she said the narrative that they told about Mike Mike is so different from who he was. He was a, he was a honor student. Did you know that? So that, you know, all you got was a narrative of the big, black, threatening male. It's interesting that, the, that these, and these narratives are shaping policy and politicians and what we have access to. I mean, people right now talking about, oh, guns don't kill people. Yeah, try to kill me with a, with a piece of paper, okay? <laughs> uh, people kill people. I think as D.L. Hughley said, it's not, the problem is not gun control, it's who has guns that we are concerned about. In, in May of 1967, the Black Panther Party showed up in Sacramento all with long guns because it was legal. California was legal to, carry, to open carry. When they showed up with them long guns in front of the state house, it didn't take the California legislature plus the NRA 10 minutes to change the laws and no, you can't be carrying them. Nobody's second amendments, nobody worried about taking a gun. So the narratives that are being written, that are writ large, are impacting the opportunities that our young people have. So the young people have to be in control of their own narratives. Dr. Ladson Billings, I'm Dr. Michelle Strina Pledger. We met in the hall and then again at the table. And I oh, have yeah, been. Oh, yeah, get your dress on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. How much was the dress? D Smoke, how much was the dress? $6.99. $6.99. Okay. Um, now, I've been called a GLB fangirl, and I actually don't like that term because what I feel for you and your work is so much deeper than that from the time I was introduced to it in 2016, the first year of the doctoral program, your work and 
research shaped my whole life path from that point. Like what I do now and what I will continue to do is because of you and I'm so grateful for that. And for the past six years of research, any class I teach, any anything, I'm always assigning your work, talking about you. And so my, I have two questions. One, how does this black female get mentored by you? Is there an application process? <laughs> I will do whatever it takes. But the second question is, because everywhere I go, you are who people refer to. And Sam was not lying when he said you are the GOAT. I, I wrote an article about you, Beyonce, and Sam's mom, actually. <laughs> um, if you want to check it out. But anyway, the, um, it's true. And so I'm always wondering, well, who does Dr. Ladson Billings look up to? Where does she draw her inspiration from? Because all of the people I know are getting it from you. So where where is your source and how do you fill your cup, so to speak? And do you smoke? I don't not familiar, as familiar with your work because you know you're more three years into my journey. Was those three years ago was the Netflix. So um, I've only known about you for three years, but I've just known about her longer. But you can tell us who inspires you as well. But we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> so I am retired. So let, let, let's just take the mentorship off the table right here. <laughs> There, there are two big influences in my life. One of them starts all the way back to me being 10 years old in fifth grade with a teacher who said to me, what makes you think you can't be the best fifth grader in this classroom? And I was like, well, I don't know. She said, well, what makes you think you can't be the best fifth grader in this school? I don't know. What makes you think you can't be the best fifth grader in this city? I don't know. What makes you think you can't be the best fifth grader anywhere? And so that challenge by this woman just blew my mind. I'm like, what, 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 what's she smoking? I mean, what's going on? What, you know? so, so it was someone pushing me, saying, you can always be better. But I would say the second really, really big influence are the young people. I am astounded by the stuff I see young people create, um, the way they think about the world, the way they are in the world. I'm encouraged by them. So whenever I feel sort of depressed looking at the people of my generation and, <laughs> and, and what those people do in Washington, I always turn back to see what young people are doing. And they're always doing the new thing. The crux of my work has not been in a search for an answer. It's been being able to ask what I call the different question. I went to graduate school at Stanford, and everything I read was about what's wrong with these black kids. Ooh, what's wrong with these kids? Ooh, can't nobody teach them. Their mamas is terrible. Nobody teach them. Everybody on drugs. I mean, and I was like, what? Somebody obviously can teach them because I'm sitting here. And so the question that I began to ask, which I didn't think was a revolutionary question at the time, was, well, what's right with the kids? Do we know what's right with them? And in, in my quest to find teachers and, and parents and community members who upheld the kids, who got it right with them, that's really what has built the career for me, is that I've been able to find at least what I would call existence proofs. High School of Recording Arts is an existence proof. I'm sure that people say, can't nobody do nothing with them kids? 
You know, they, they just, they, they just want to gang bang and they want to do, but, but here they are doing something. So I think, you know, the, the, your, your chore as a scholar is to ask the different question. Don't fall into the trap. It's just like the young person we talked to earlier about the narrative. Write a different narrative. Write a story that looks so, that turns upside down the assumptions that people have about us. I don't know how many of you watched the series Atlanta, yeah. but whoever is doing the writing on that show, they are on it mm -hmm. because they're making us go, what? Say what, do what? I mean, just that, that episode with Bippy and the hair, the, the barbershop, it's like we, those of us who grew up in the community is like, yeah, we know that person. We really do. We know this person is not on time. It's going to take you 80 different places before they do what they said they were going to do. And yet someone thought enough to make it a, 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 a piece of art, if you will. And so I would just challenge you to just ask the different question uh, and not fall into the trap of the ongoing, or I guess what Henry Louis Gates would call, don't fall into the trap of the master narrative. OG, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and admit that if you didn't say that it was the students, I was gonna say, y'all know that she's talked about the students in almost every single answer that she's had tonight. And just ha seeing the fascination in her face, like, um, and the energy that you give off, is like, that's what makes somebody like a really dope educator. Like the moment you think is, here I'm gonna give y'all something, and that's it, you're terrible, mm -hmm. terrible. And I, I pray that there aren't teachers in here that's like, oh, it's me to you and that's it. If you're not trying to learn from the kids, one, you're making things hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Teaching is very difficult to do that way. Um, but I'm sure we're not in that place, so I don't have to say that. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I think that's super dope and that's why you have such a, a fresh perspective, you know what I'm saying, as an OG, um, because you, you connected to the kids, you feel me? Um, my inspiration, uh, my first, uh, I mean, my first musical teacher was my mom, and she's a genius herself. She's a, a music genius, a hip-hop genius. She's featured on uh, my song, the title song of my project that was Grammy-nominated, uh, Black Habits. You know, that's her singing the hook, and to keep it a thousand, I called her in to sing background. And, um, <laughs> and you know, I'd already said the part, uh, it's like, black magic, black excellence, black habits, it's black medicine, everything, black chugs, black, you know? And so I had already kind of said the rap, like, and I just wanted her to sing some melodies underneath, so it kind of floated along. And um, she sang like four, and she went in there with all the feeling and energy in the world, like she meant what she was saying. And we were at Snoop's studio, because that's where we went to finish the project. And that was one of the last songs that we actually did. Um, and, and when she performed it, I was like, I told the engineer, like, hey, mute mine for me real quick. And he took my vocals out of that section, and I just listened to hers. I was like, that's the hook. And it's, this is not background vocals, this is, you know. <laughs> and so um, that's, that's my inspiration. I'm a different kind of fortunate to grow up in a family that I grew up in. You know, my Uncle Andrew um, has a special connection to here because he was Prince's last bass player before Prince passed. Um, and so, 
And so just growing up in that environment, I, I felt like I couldn't choose the easy route in hip hop. To keep it a thousand, I was, a, I was writing music for other artists before I ever decided I'm gonna be a rapper. It was out of the frustration of the music industry that I was like, I have to be an entrepreneur. My, my failures pushed me way further into the, being the D-smoke that people see now than, than, um, than any of my successes, you know? I changed to Spanish major because the econ department, not because I felt like I was gonna do it anyway, but in case I was scared of making the right decision, the econ department hit me and was like, uh, it looks like you've been taking econ prerequisites. In case you have, uh, don't, you know, don't choose this major, you're not welcome kind of thing. I was like, okay, well Spanish it is, you know. And same thing with writing music. We, we write a hit for Jaheim and they don't call us back to write his next one because they're like, oh, well, Tricky and the Dream is hot, so let's go this direction. Or Mary J. Blige put out an album entitled Stronger when we wrote a song called Stronger that she went in and recorded, but they chose to get another right. Like, those kind of things had me like, man, what I'm not is a sucker. You know what I'm saying? So me and we got, you know, a healthy ego, like Kanye would say, and said, we're gonna go ahead and do this our way. And those failures pushed me into that. Um, and so, but I say all that to say my, my inspiration is my, my family first um, and just like Inglewood, you know, growing up where I, where I come from, like even, even the people that made it hard to come up in Inglewood, like it's, it's, there's an irony of where I am now because it's the ones that gave me issues that they swear I'm from their same gang and I'm like, <laughs> I ain't never got put on, but I guess y'all could, you could claim me, but you know, um, but it's just like you said, the community, um, it has a way of making you something different. Like if you, if and when you make it out, man, you, you realize how different you are. And I got to UCLA and met a lot of people from these suburbs and not to knock people from the suburbs or whatever, but like they didn't carry that same sense of authenticity or duty or respect, things that we just are bred into us, you know, or, or burned out of us if we got the opposite, you know. Um, and so I'm super inspired by Inglewood and, um, and am honored that when I see people from the city, I get that love for the most part, unless it's a, a young artist that feel like he, he, he could come take my spot, you know what I'm saying? Come, tell him, come see me. <laughs> all right. All right, all right, all right. We're gonna have one last question then Louis Blaze is gonna rock the mic. And for those of you who did have your hands up to ask a question, we're gonna stick around and sign books and sell books and just be available. So if you had a question, come on over to that area after Louis's uh, performance. And here's our last. Hey everyone, I'm, uh, I'm Jerome Treadwell. I'm gonna pass to my partner um, the second end. But um, so I'm gonna be real brief, but uh, Real quick shout out to uh, Philly, because I'm going to Temple in the fall. Uh, but um, um, so we've, we've kind of been talking about like, um, like the corporate uh, gathering of students in terms of music education and whatnot. And um, you know, as just like a, what my friends call me a social justice warrior um, and an artist myself, like I've held actions and things like that within St. Paul, Minneapolis due to like the immense amount of arts cuts. And we've seen arts cuts in public schools, especially within um, some of our projects and some of our you know, lower income uh, communities at an alarming rate as well. Um, but when we're talking about arts cuts, 
where what I think we we fail to realize is that this is like where, where arts cuts from like traditional Western music, and that may look like the music of our colonizers. When we talk about uh, band and orchestra, like a lot of those composers and a lot of those things don't reflect our communities to begin with. So I think as we go forward within like the conversation of arts cuts um, and restorative arts, um, I'm curious to where do we see and how do we see it being perceived? And as black folks who um, have gotten our things robbed from us for so long, um, black American music in the words of Nicholas Payton, right? How do we see, uh, and even in the conversation of CRT, uh, um, how do we see, you know, digital music, um, recording arts and things like that in our schools um, being accepted or either uh, being pioneered as uh, the traditional things begin to dwindle away and technology emerges throughout all our classrooms? So that's a big, question. <laughs> so I'm going to take a bite out of it and I'm going to turn it over to my partner here. He's going to fix it. Uh, but I would say that one of the things that hip hop brings is a precision in language that is really important in helping people understand the world. So for example, I never let someone say, oh, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I love listening to classical music. If you tell me that, I'm going to say, what kind of classical? Now, if they think I mean, oh, 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 well, like Schubert, no, 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 no. Are you talking European classical, Chinese classical, African uh, classical, American classical, which is actually jazz? I mean, we have to, to get this, the terminology right. Mm. We gotta have our kids understand that what they are producing and putting into the world can be named, and it needs to be named correctly. You know, one of the, the activities I do with kids is I ask the kids to tell me, what's your nickname and how did you get it? Right? Uh, Amazing question. Because yes. Yes. everybody got a nickname. You know, you think you're dealing with Nathaniel, but that's Mookie, right? <laughs> And, and, and until we, you know, and, and, and it's something about the essence of that nickname, you know, something about that nickname that speaks to the essence of the person, right? So I think that one of the ways that we help young people and help the wider world begin to understand what we're trying to do is that we have to be much more precise. We have to be uh, clear in our language to talk about what we talk about is that, was it, Yana Van Zandt will say, let's call a thing a thing. Period. You know, that's what we have to begin to do because I think that too much of what happens is everything gets lumped into one thing. You know, people don't even understand that there are genres of hip hop, right? Oh, well, hear that gangster rap. Well, that's a genre. Mm -hmm. You know, you also may not like to watch X rated movies, don't do it. Okay, but don't say you ain't never going to a movie because there's an X-rated movie out there. You know, if, if you, you know, the, I guess the history teacher me always wants to know, you know, if you look at the history of hip hop and the developments from Jamaica to the Bronx, you know, throughout New York to the West Coast to Southern, I mean, there's all kinds of different genres of this art form and until we get to be more precise about it, um, we'll let people, again, write the narrative, lump it on, yeah. Because somebody actually said that hip hop caused Uvalde. 
And I'm like, are you serious? You're going to, you know, we're going to let that stand? We're not going to come back and say, what, you know, what are you talking about? So I think it's really important that we begin to really uh, be precise in our message, to be clear on what it is that we are doing with young people and support them in, as they try to write those narratives. So I, I think I'll stop right there. Yes. Um, and I want to make sure I'm hearing you right, and I'm going to try to take a, a bite out of a different chunk. You, you were talking about arts cuts in schools, right? Yeah. Where they cut funding for arts programs? Okay. So, um, and you, you made a very good point. Um, a lot of those programs aren't reinforcing who we are and, are, and validating our art forms to begin with. Um, so it's, it's two sides to it. It's one, don't cut arts, like, right? It is terrible that that's happening. Um, but uh, those programs, haven't been designed to create artists. You know, they might make band members, you know, and as a, I've been an artist since I was like six years old. You know, once I started playing piano, I started making up stuff of my own, you know. Um, and my experience in the band was, he wanted me there so he could look good when he takes me to the competitions and play classical pieces. But when I put my wave cap on, on the bus to keep my braids fresh at a performance, he snatches it and said, that's some nigga shit. Mm. And, and this is a black dude. Mm. And kicks me off the bus and gives me a C because that parade was part of my final grade. My parents come up there and they're like, I'm sorry, I don't want to curse too much. But my mom was like, you got me all kinds of, y'all finish it, you know. <laughs> and my dad, my dad is 6'4", and he ain't had to say nothing because my mom was irate. So he was just backing her up like, hey man, you got to deal with this, you know. and. Long story short, he let me play a classical piece as my final exam, and I've, I don't ever remember playing that piece better than that time because I was so irate. And this is after the grades came out. Like, you know, I got one B in all of, all of high school. Ironically, it was in a Spanish class, and that teacher just hated on me. <laughs> but that would have been a C that stayed on my record from a band director who thought he was teaching me a lesson about how to perform not being ghetto, you know? And, um, and this is a black man from the South, from Grambling University, you know? And so, um, but of course, in, in a very real literal sense, the band was teaching us how to high step, you know what I'm saying, perform, when it wasn't teaching us how to create. Um, and, and of course, their version of doing something innovative is like, uh, let's play the thong song, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, the trumpet section going, bam, 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 you know? And so, but that wasn't nothing, that wasn't innovative, you know? And so, that's, that is what it means to be like, to be an educator nowadays. You, we gotta be first and, and, and uh, yeah, I, I hurt for the schools. And it's, it's not just music, it's like, but you said arts cut, so it's, but, my parents was big fans of like, man, when schools had mechanics and home ec and all that stuff, it was still introducing students to a wide range of life paths, mm -hmm. you know? And the fact that schools don't do that is a crime, in my opinion, um, because, you know, yeah, so uh, I, don't, I don't know what the solution to that is, but my, my music education happened in the church and at home, and I got a big heart for parents that 
are willing to invest in their kids and make them learn an art form. It's at the, ultimately, it's the responsibility of the parents, you know, to find those things like and, and put the put the students in them. Unfortunately, not all these students got supportive parents like that. So, you know, shout out to HSRA. But I don't have all the answers. But you know, hope that spoke to your question a little bit. Thanks. I just wanted to um, say, you know, when you were talking about kids not having support, and it's a, really a paradigm shift to be in a, in a community. That's what we're about. Um, family, respect, community, and education. That's our mantra. And, and it's all about having that time and that point where you realize that you're different and that you're an individual and that you are participating in the community and giving something back. You know, it takes me back. I remember when I was in the second grade, I was with uh, one of the kids, and this is before I realized who I really was. He was a genius. He was, he, I was in third grade, he was so smart. He was this Greek kid and he was, he was amazingly smart and I used to copy what he would do. I, I sat behind him and I tried and keep up with him. And then one day he um, tore his shirt and he broke down and cried and just lost all his composure. And I said, Peter, what's wrong, man? He, he, and he tore his shirt and, and I was like, That's, that ain't nothing. Don't worry about it. You, you know, you can get another shirt, you know. What are you worried about? And he couldn't get over that point. And I realized at that moment, that was a paradigm shift for me to realize that I had something that he didn't have. It was, a, it was a, an ability to cope and deal with different things, even though he, he, had, he could do everything academically, but socially and, and emotionally, wow. he couldn't understand what it took. And so that was the start of my journey because Academically in, in 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 school, it was it was a uh, it was terrible, and <laughs> then when I when I got to the school that this school is based on, which was the St. Paul Open School that Joe kind of mentioned, it really um, is again a paradigm shift. It's about understanding how young people learn and giving them the empowerment to uh, realize what it takes for them to be successful and how education really will benefit them. And I'm, at this point, I'm so happy that I'm here in this space with an opportunity to forge forward and make a difference in, in the community. I'm, I'm really proud of um, Hip Hop Genius, the 2.0. But I had one thing that I just wanted to ask, because I know you had mentioned you were writing a book, um, um, D, mm -hmm. and so, I just, if you could just touch on that, is, is you said something about education. So mm -hmm. I, I really respect you. I've watched you work with young people and bring out the, the, the glory and the, and, and the talent. And so I'm just wondering, what, what, what are you planning on doing with that? I mean, yeah. Um, well, by the time the book is, is ready, um, we'll both, because it's a fictional novel, and what, sparked me to write the book was how I was already in the classroom at Westchester High School and somebody's like, you gotta read The Alchemist. Mm -hmm. And I read The Alchemist and I just remember how I felt reading that book. Like, 
I felt like all my, my beliefs on somewhere between spirituality, education, pursuing your dreams, all of that just kind of merged. That was, that's my book. That's my go-to like audio book. I, I listened to it four times on a set of Rhythm and Flow just to tune out, you know, rappers who was striving. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, um, but it was set in Spain and Andalusia and, and traveling to Egypt and these places are so far, but you have these type of minds, these, and it's a young person. It's from a young person's perspective. But I know so many people in Inglewood who have the same amount of creativity, resilience, who run into wise men, but the wise men are in the hood who have, you know, and so I wanted to create this, this world where this kid is going between his experience in Inglewood to this um, parallel universe where he's being mentored into achieving his full potential and, and just sneak all those codes to life, all those values into the book. And so um, the way it's written is imagined to also be a series or a movie. And, and so, you know, my team is very aware of that. I got deadlines to finish these middle <laughs> chapters. And, uh, but I'm excited about that. And, and that's why when I said I, I think artists should learn how to write, right? Ice Cube is, is a prime example of like, you know, we, we know he's a rapper, but I think we just took him and put him in a whole different stratosphere is his ability to tell stories. Mm -hmm. And even as he was rapping, that's what it was, you know, so. Yep. Wow. Yes, indeed. Make some noise, y'all, for our esteemed guests. And definitely do Yo. not go anywhere. In fact, the only people I would like to ask to go somewhere, and Sam, please say what you're about to say first, but I want to invite everybody on the stage to the back table there while Louie performs. Yeah, Sam, go ahead. Oh, okay, so we're going back while he performs? Yeah, y'all so, go back while he performs. Okay. Give him the space to okay. rock the mic. Okay. Because sometimes it's a, you know, tectonic shift when Louis Blaze hits the mic. Yes. Right? No, no I, I don't want you to get hurt, Sam. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate everyone standing up. And I was actually going to suggest that folks come up. We've been sitting for a long That's time. That's true. Like, let's give him that energy. I know we want to be COVID safe, wear masks, space out as we need to. But let's, like, bring it up because this is about to be a live performance. That's it. I, I just need to thank our guests on the podcast, our guests here tonight. Um, we knew, man, we just, we're, we're just greedy. First, y'all said yes to do the book. And then you, you all said yes to coming together. For 11 years, people have been asking me, um, who's a hip hop genius ever since the first book came out. And I keep trying to say, it's not a person. Like, I'm not gonna, is Jay-Z a hip hop genius? Is so-and-so a hip hop genius? And I'm always like, I'm not gonna answer that. It's a concept, it's a collective thing that gets created. But y'all, this is hip hop genius. Like, for the first time in 11 years, I'm gonna say, that whatever's going on right now, and it's, y'all have all these, um, you know, accolades and things you've done, but yeah, and the collective of the room. I mean, it's this energy, it's all this. And where we are, but, Y'all have all the accolades and all that, and that's part of you know, what, what's exciting, but you're truth tellers. Like you've sat up here and just shared your truth and the truths as you see them, um, and I just want to appreciate that because even if we erased all the titles and winning this and nominated for that and president of this, like you all tell the truth every time, wherever you are. It doesn't matter if you're behind a microphone making music or you're at a conference or you're writing a book or you're writing, you know, that's what you do. And I just want to really appreciate and honor both of you for doing that. And I hope, first we had you both in the book like side by side, but you hadn't met. Now we're together on a stage. 
I know the big homie is retired, but I'm still like, my brain is turning with this documentary and how we can get more collaboration happening here because it's a beautiful thing what's just happened here. And I just want to appreciate you and appreciate you all for being here with us. Thank you. Peace and love, peace and love. Make some more noise for HSRA. So many gems has just dropped. So many gems has just dropped. Man, Sam, we in a building. So I wanted to start off like this. I swear our reality is a nightmare. Then dreams are being crushed because we don't fight fair. We end up in a system from shooting at rivals to hit an innocent victim. That could have been my brother right there. That could have been me and you or a mother right there. The father went away. Imagine what her kids would go through. The daughter had a daughter at 16 and the son was shooting the 22 way before he was 22. We in a cycle of more money than more problems. More murder with no justice. How could we solve them? Broken families from coke lines and open bottles. It's no lie that the sky's falling, but no autumn. Soak the sorrow with no hope for tomorrow. Holes in our hearts, got our souls hollow. Don't have no power to ball, just play the power ball with hope to hit the lotto. Growing up without a role model. I got a mind filled with dreams, page full of pain. Heart turned cold with a soul burned in flames. Million dollar thoughts and a pocket full of change. I took so many losses, but we all go through things. So when life got you down, try to stay up. Bow my head and I pray the Lord save us. Cause before we change the world, we must change us. I hope to see a better day when I wake up. Wake up. Yo, yo. Think we could turn that up a little bit? Yeah. So the name of this song right here is called Placement. And it's me. You know, doing some truth telling of my life and what I've experienced here in this world. Look, my little homie told me he just need a quick dollar. I understand, cause really I feel the same way. My big homie told me that a slow nigga was better than a fast dime, cause it's all about the path you take. You see, a barrel was never made for a crab. Just like a cage was never made for a human guy. These people feeding off everything that we have with hidden agendas in the power of influence. I was down, I was ruined, running around with the fluid, lighting fire after fire, lost desire to be a student. Found my way into the block at the crib, it was hard to eat. Started living in a box, jacket when I hit the streets. I was acting way different than the way my mama raised me. So when I caught her from that cell, it was really crazy. Only 16, so they EJJ me, waiting for me to fail, but that ain't phase me. Recognize placement. Sitting in the silence and I turn the TV on Look at the times that we facing, yeah Trauma from the violence still living in my bones Got no time to be complacent, yeah That's the enemy of progression I'm steady putting on Taking time, I ain't racing, yeah Huh, pay 
pacing myself with patience cause it's a marathon Five years on probation with five years over my head From 16 to 21 I was fed to the system of corrections Just another number on the checklist cause the issues of my life wasn't corrected For real still impacted by the drugs, alcohol and the lack of funds A broken home with kin folk really showing love So if I never found a school that had a studio Honestly it was hard to even see me really showing up Started growing up and learning more with my experience Peep the way the game is played now I'm feeling curious Seriously been furious We trapped and we don't even know Stuck inside a cycle of survival where anything goes All my kings rapping, playing ball and selling dope Or be false prophets with non-profits Profit off of selling hope Receiving jewels, show no pity to fools In the city of sin, number one rule Is to recognize placement, yeah Hey, sitting in the silence and I turn the TV on Look at the times that we facing, hey Huh. Trauma from the violence still living in my bones Got no time to be complacent, yeah That's the enemy of progression I'm steady putting on Taking time, I ain't racing, yeah huh. Pacing myself with patience cause it's a marathon Better recognize placement, yeah Sitting in the silence then I turn the TV on Look at the times that we facing, yeah huh. Trauma from the violence still living in my bones Got no time to be complacent, yeah that's the enemy of progression I'm steady putting on Taking time, I ain't racing, yeah Pacing myself with patience Cause it's a marathon, thong, thong. Thank you, thank you I just gotta say one time I love each and every one of you up in here To not add value to value Is to disvalue value itself and each and every one of us, we know about human rights, we know about civil rights. Every time I hit the stage, I've been talking about birthrights. You are valuable, you are lovable, you are powerful, you are important. So before I leave, can we, can we say that mantra together? Can we say that? You know, because it's different when you manifest it for yourself. You know, you speak it with your own energy. So one time for the one time, let's say, I am valuable. I am, valuable. I am lovable. I am, lovable. I am powerful. I am important. All right, bet. Now, for this one right here, I need you to look at somebody in the crowd real quick. Find somebody, lock, lock, make eye contact. Let them know, okay? Tell them, you are valuable. You are lovable. You are powerful. You are important. All right, bet. Now, this run right here, we got to get as loud as possible. And we going to use the word we in front of that because we ain't here together. You know teamwork make the dream work, baby. Let's say we are valuable. We are lovable. We are powerful. We are important. Now, make some noise for Hip Hop Genius 2.0, baby. Let's go. Thank y'all for having me. Hey, stop snoozing, G. Go Google me, L-E-W-I with two E's. Don't forget the Blaze. Go. Wow, Louis Blaze. Louis Blaze. And I think we might have a little treat for y'all from the one and only D Smoke. Let me see what happens when I pass him the mic. How y'all doing? So I'm gonna do this, y'all. If y'all followed anything I do, y'all might be familiar with this, but I like this piece, so I'm gonna do it. This one's for love for mothers that's grieving. This for that dreamer in that class that's underachieving. 
This for believers whose faith is all that's keeping them breathing. This the Garden of Eden. This for all of my heathens. This one's for Inglewood, both in Chicago and Cali. This one's for Manchester and Crenshaw for rallies. Happy moments happen to be sprinkled throughout half of these tragedies. Actually, I just start embracing change. It's safe to say that growth is an uncomfortable process and pain is a necessary investment for progress. I stress that if ever you get ill or hurt against your will, it's just a quiz from God. This is our test. Oh, yes. This time is going to be different. I'm going to bless the world with honest quotes in every sentence and get better every moment, just like Beverly mentioned. Hard times, but never resentment. I stay forever relentless. Let's go. This has been a production of Hip Hop Genius. Order a copy now at www.hiphopgenius.org. All author royalties go to supporting the High School for Recording Arts. Original music for this podcast was produced by DJ Mickey Breeze. You can find Sam on Twitter at Hustlington. Tony can be found at Tony Minneapolis. Michael can be found at Last Name Lipset. You can find T.C. Ellis on Twitter at David T.C. Ellis 1 and the High School for Recording Arts at HSRA underscore MN. This episode was recorded live on campus at the High School for Recording Arts in St. Paul, Minnesota on June 9, 2022. A special thank you to the Bush Foundation for their generous support. Catch us next time on the Hip Hop Genius Podcast.